Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Making the Case for Early Intensification of Therapy in Patients with Type 2 Diabetes and Obesity. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Lilly. Hi, my name is Scott Kahan. I'm an obesity medicine physician in Washington, D.C., and I'm looking forward to talking to you today about making the case for early intensification of therapy in patients with type 2 diabetes and obesity. Let's start by discussing the clinical rationale for targeting GLP-1 GIP dual agonism for the management of patients with type 2 diabetes and obesity. GLP-1 receptor agonists have a number of effects. For one, in the central nervous system, they tend to decrease appetite and food intake. They tend to lead to an increase in satiety. In the pancreas, GLP-1s tend to increase insulin secretion and decrease glucagon secretion. And in the stomach and gastrointestinal tract, they lead to a decrease in gastric emptying, which usually is a positive effect in that people tend to feel fuller, but sometimes can lead to gastrointestinal side effects. The primary effects of GIP receptor agonism, like GLP-1, are in the central nervous system, leading to decreased food intake and ultimately body weight loss. In the pancreas, GIP stimulation increases insulin secretion and also increases glucagon secretion. And then uniquely, there are GIP receptors in subcutaneous adipose tissue. And so there's a number of effects that we can get there that are often very positive. Notably, stimulation of these GIP receptors pulls triglycerides in from the blood, lowering blood triglyceride levels. And there's an anti-inflammatory effect when these receptors are stimulated. So there are quite a number of important benefits of incretin therapy in type 2 diabetes. GLP-1s are associated with less risk for hypoglycemia compared with older diabetes treatments, and they have a favorable effect on weight. The ADA recommends GLP-1s as the first injectable treatment for diabetes and often the second treatment overall right behind metformin. Dual agonism of both the GIP and the GLP-1 receptors is associated with greater A1C reduction than either insulin or GLP-1 receptor treatment alone. And of course, medication choice should consider additional potential benefits that can include effects on weight, it can include cardiovascular risk, and other potential risks. So in summary, we've had a number of very good medications that work to stimulate GLP-1 receptors, and now we have a number of newer ones that also stimulate the GIP receptor as well. Next, we'll discuss the latest clinical data supporting the use of GLP-1 GIP dual agonists for both glycemic control and weight management in patients with type 2 diabetes and obesity. Now I'm going to review the latest clinical evidence supporting the use of GLP-1 receptor-based therapies for glycemic control in patients with type 2 diabetes and obesity. The older GLP-1s, like exanatide, led to a nice improvement in A1C, but not nearly what we see with the newer ones, like semaglutide, for example. With the newer medications, we can get a little bit more than one and a half point reduction in A1C. 
And then when we look at terzepatide, which was just approved a few months ago for diabetes, we're seeing yet even better improvement in glycemic control. Compared with one milligram semaglutide, in which you see nearly a two-point A1C reduction, with terzepatide, even at the lowest dose, we're seeing further A1C improvement of nearly another half point. And at the higher doses of 10 or 15 milligrams, we're seeing about a point greater than the semaglutide alone. In this study, 90% of patients with diabetes who were treated with terzepatide achieved an A1C less than 7, and about 50% achieved an A1C less than 5.7. That's unheard of. We haven't had a medication like that till now. So a very exciting development. The other benefit is from cardiovascular disease. This is the treatment recommendations from the American Diabetes Association Standard of Care publication for patients with diabetes. And when patients have atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease or high risk of such, it's indicated to start either a GLP-1 receptor agonist or an SGLT-2 inhibitor. And that's even if their glycemic control is already at target because there's lower cardiovascular risks when on these medications. In patients with diabetes and heart failure, SGLT2 inhibitors are indicated, and if A1C is above target, adding a GLP-1 receptor agonist, insulin, or combination approaches would further be indicated. And then in patients with diabetes and chronic kidney disease, a GLP-1 receptor agonist is indicated if an SGLT2 is either not tolerated or contraindicated, or in patients that don't have albuminuria, a GLP-1 receptor agonist would be primarily indicated. So in summary, we have very strong data for the use of GLP-1-based therapies and dual GLP-1 and GIP receptor agonists to improve both glycemic control in patients with type 2 diabetes and obesity, as well as decreased long-term cardiovascular-related risks. In the next section, we'll discuss the latest clinical data supporting the use of GLP-1-based therapies for weight loss in patients with both type 2 diabetes and obesity. We've talked about GIP, GLP-1-based therapies for glycemic control, but now let's look at the evidence for their use in patients with obesity and diabetes. Across the class of GLP-1s, there tends to be a class effect of a little bit of weight loss with any of the GLP-1 medications, but not much. You get a little bit more weight loss with liraglutide. You get a little bit more weight loss with semaglutide. Here's phase 3 data for treatment of liraglutide at a higher dose, which was approved for obesity treatment in 2015. At the 1.8 milligram dose, which is used for diabetes, you see modest improvement in body weight. At the 3 milligram dose, you see quite a bit more weight loss. Then if we look at semaglutide, similar situation here. At the 1 milligram dose, which is approved for diabetes, you get a little bit of weight loss. At the 2.4 milligram dose, which was approved last year for obesity specifically, you get quite a bit more weight loss. Now, with the advent of terzepatide, we're seeing an even more impressive situation. So compared with semaglutide at one milligram, where you get a modest amount of weight loss, the three doses of terzepatide lead to quite a bit more weight loss. About eight kilograms at the five milligram dose, about 10 kilograms at the 10 milligram dose, and more than 12 kilograms at the 15 milligram dose. Now, keep in mind, this is in patients with diabetes, and this was in 
a diabetes trial, not in an explicit obesity trial, which gets to this next trial, which is really quite exciting. This was published just a few months ago. This is the surmount trial looking at terzepatide specifically for obesity treatment. And here you can see even more weight loss than what I showed in the last slide. 5 milligrams of terzepatide, 16% weight loss on average. At the higher doses, 10 milligrams and 15 milligrams, were well over 20% weight loss. This is bariatric surgery level of weight loss with this new medication. Now keep in mind, terzepatide is approved for diabetes. It's not yet approved for obesity, but this data is very compelling, and I anticipate that approval will be not too far around the corner. Next, we'll focus on potential gastrointestinal side effects of GLP-1-based therapies and the GIP, GLP-1 dual agonists, and how we can manage them. I'd like to review the safety profiles of the GLP-1-based therapies and the GLP-1-GIP dual agonists and how we can manage common treatment-related adverse events. Nausea is by far the most common side effect. Vomiting happens much less frequently. Diarrhea or constipation can occur. And of course, decreased appetite can occur, but that's almost always a positive effect. These side effects are generally dose-dependent. They're generally short-lived, and we can usually minimize them by a slow titration of the dose. Less commonly, gallbladder disease can occur, particularly when patients lose a lot of weight quickly upon starting a GLP-1 receptor agonist. More rarely, still, is pancreatitis. In some of the early clinical trials, there was a low but real risk of pancreatitis shown. In the more recent cardiovascular outcome trials, there wasn't actually shown to be an increased risk of pancreatitis, but this is nonetheless a side effect that needs to be considered. When comparing the potential side effects between terzepatide and traditional GLP-1 medications, they're actually quite similar. In theory, GIP stimulation should lower the risk of gastrointestinal side effects, particularly nausea. Perhaps the most important thing here is just like with the GLP-1s, there is an exceedingly low risk of hypoglycemia. The only real risk of severe hypoglycemia is in patients that are concurrently on either insulin or a sulfonylurea. There's some useful strategies to minimize the risk of gastrointestinal side effects. The most important by far in my experience is slowing the uptitration of the dose to make sure that they're tolerating it before we increase the dose. And occasionally we'll even lower the dose and then slowly increase the dose back up. Now, it's also helpful to recommend patients eating smaller meals. Of course, that's going to be helpful for anyone who wants to manage their diabetes and their weight. But in particular with these medications, because they slow gastrointestinal transit and gastric emptying, that tends to lead to less nausea on these medications. Sometimes high-fat meals will increase these symptoms when taking a GLP-1-based therapy and the GLP-1-GIP dual agonists. So these may be worth considering and then adjusting patient's intake. And lastly, most patients on GLP-1s will also be on metformin. So when applicable, consider decreasing the metformin dose, which may then help to tolerate the dual GLP-1 and GIP receptor agonists and GLP-1-based therapy. Next, we'll discuss best practices for optimizing weight management plans for patients with type 2 diabetes and obesity.
Now I'm going to talk about how we can effectively use GLP-1-based therapies and GLP-1 and GIP dual receptor agonism in patients with type 2 diabetes and obesity to assist both with glycemic control and weight loss. Let's review some best practices that I use for my patients. Whenever we can get a dual benefit, that can be extremely valuable for patients. We tend to get more weight benefit with the injectable version of semaglutide compared with the oral version, and we tend to get more weight loss still with terzepatide. We have positive cardiovascular outcome trials with the subcutaneous version of semaglutide, with loraglutide, and with dulaglutide. And they've also been shown to have renal protective effects. We want to pay attention to risk for gastrointestinal side effects, particularly in people who are more sensitive to those. Semaglutide tends to have a higher risk compared to some of the older GLP-1s. And once weekly medications tend to be preferred for patients. So that would be dulaglutide and semaglutide once weekly. Another really important consideration is we should try to avoid or minimize medications that may cause weight gain or make it harder to lose weight. Perhaps the most common category of medication with respect to that is anti-diabetic agents. The older agents were very likely to cause weight gain, insulin and sulfonylureas in particular. The newer agents, though, are much more likely to be either weight neutral or even cause weight loss. Try to focus on medications that have a low risk of weight gain and perhaps even cause weight loss and try to avoid those medications that have a risk of weight gain. Because of the multiple beneficial effects, I tend to utilize the GLP-1s very early in treatment when I see a patient with both diabetes and obesity. These medications tend to take some time to build up in the system, and their subjective effects can be subtle. So we want to use a relatively slow titration to minimize side effects, but also we need to counsel patients to understand that weight loss and improvements in appetite and fullness may take time to occur. It's not uncommon that it takes a few months until they get the full benefit at a given dose, and then we can further increase the dose from there as needed. It's important that we're there to support patients, to give them encouragement, and to help them with guidance, counseling, and when appropriate, medications that can better improve both their weight management and their diabetes management. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.